here we go. It's episode 14 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition, that is. I'm Joe Serralo. I need to get back to 500. My best bets have gone from 6-3, and three, which seems like forever ago, to 6-7. and seven. But good news, McKenzie. I just hit three parlays yesterday on the NFL Conference Championship Sunday. So I've got momentum swinging my way. It's just got to carry over from the NFL to the NBA. As always, joined by my man, McKenzie Rivers. I hope you made some money this weekend too, brother. What up, what up? I had a, I had a slightly losing weekend, no big deal. But I like how... Uh, our, our dedicated NBA listeners get to know that, hey, you made money on the NFL this weekend. Great. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. You, you know what? I have to show I made money somewhere because I sure as shit haven't made money on basketball in about two weeks. You spun it around. You spun it around. You're using that momentum, that energy, that cash in your pocket, that positive good feeling. So go ahead and get back on the winning track. I like that. I got to do the same. My best bet. Ah, last second loser on the first quarter with the Pacers. That happens, but hey, it's another day. We're going to do our best on these best bets. Let's go. Was that a Mike Muscala first quarter buzzer beater that screwed you? The one and only. So Mike Muscala screws Bulls minus one and a half betters when the Bulls were up four a couple games ago. He hits a three-pointer at the buzzer for a one-point thunder loss to Chicago. And now he screws you over with your first quarter prop. We got to kill this guy. That's the only solution at this point. (laughs) I mean, unbelievable. He's public enemy number one for sure. No doubt about it. Better public enemy number one. Uh, You know, Mackenzie, I had to throw in the three NFL parlays because I don't know if I've hit three parlays in my life, let alone hitting three in the same day. I mean, I'm sorry that that was my humble brag. Well, we're we're here now. We're here now. What? Let's let's say the longest odds parlay. Let's just do that one. Let's okay. Let's walk so us I hit it. a seven legger. Um, it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I would I would mention yeah. That well, too. so out of the too. three, one was a two legger. Uh, it was a live bet. It was Cup to go over a hundred when he had like. Let's just stick with the 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 seven. Yeah. So this. What was what was the last one to cash for you? What was the one you were sweating? So at the it end? was actually I got really cute there, kind of like Andy Reid tried to, uh, but it worked for me. <laughs> The last two legs hit simultaneously. It was Rams money line and Niners plus 10 and a half. So I was banking on a Rams one to 10 point win. The inversely correlated seven team parlay. Yep. Plus, Thing of beauty, plus man. 2150 odds. It was a cup touchdown, a Debo touchdown, a cup over 70, Odell over 40, Stafford over 280, and then Rams money line, Niners plus 10 and a half. And that cashed in plus 2150 odds. Pre-game alum Brad Powers used to have a college uh, football segment on the Straight Out of Vegas radio show, 220 stations nationwide, coast to coast, five days a week. And it was called It's Sometimes Good to Be Bad. And he would pick the biggest, sweatiest, minus 30 and a half college football favorites, parlay them all together for an even money bet. And he knew statistically over the long run, that kind of betting is very unlikely to, to, to profit uh Anybody that's that deep uh, that's trying to do this for a living, but it's good to be bad. Sometimes you don't follow the rules. You do a seven-team parlay for some fun, and you cash it. And kind of like mad money, Jim Cramer talks about, put most of your money in the S&P 500, but you want something to keep you excited, keep you reading up on the news. So take a little mad money and do something fun with it, like a plus 22 to 1 type winner. Congrats, man. That's 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 a nice night. Appreciate it. I also bought AMC at $5 last year and sold it at 60. So, so we're riding high, my man. Let's get to those NBA MVP odds. Joel Embiid, the Philadelphia superstar who was once as low as 50 to 1 on the award this season, is now the favorite 
per pregame's consensus odds coming in at plus 250. He ranks just ahead of Giannis, who on pregame's consensus odds is plus 325. Steph, who is plus 375. The Joker, the reigning MVP, plus 425. And then coming in at a distant fifth, Ja Morant, 12 to 1. I think that's disrespectful as hell to Ja. That rounds out the top five. Mackenzie, what are your thoughts on Embiid as the favorite and has the ship sailed to bet on him? I don't think you're getting a great number at plus 250. The 76ers, yeah, only third in the East. I mean, neither of the teams ahead of them really f- frighten you. The Heat uh, just got blown out by the Celtics. The Bulls have had their troubles. And they're tied with the Cavs right now in the game's back department. So, yeah, the 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 story that Joel Embiid is the MVP starts with him getting the number one seed. Uh, we did this study last year. Nine of 11 MVPs had the number one per or player efficiency rating. PER, some might say, in the league. Nine, nine out of 11, and Jokic continued that trend last year. And not the same nine of 11, but a different nine of 11 had the number one, I think it was the number one or number two, I'll pull it up, I apologize, seed in their conference. And Jokic bucked that trend, uh, so it became nine of 13 after last year when he won MVP. So generally, the story that Joel MVP gets the MVP means he's got to beat two other teams ahead of him to get the number one seed. And he's got to maintain his you know, dominant play. Also, he's got a little bit of work to do in the, if you believe in this 10 of 12 trend. The player efficiency uh, race is often the MVP race. And Jokic does have a sizable lead on Embiid. And it's 33.7 right now. This happened last year. They're doing some something funky with the pace. That would be like a historic player efficiency rating. You're going to wake up one day and it's going to be 31.7. It's it's kind of funky how they how ESPN does it, but generally, I mean, Basketball Reference, for instance, doesn't even use ESPN per per anymore because they already have the formula and they don't like the monkey games that ESPN is known to do from time to time. But Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, MVP favorites, Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, player efficiency rating leaders, give Hollinger his props. That stat continues to kind of sum up what we're seeing on the court. I think it's, I mean. A month ago, this was 40 to 1. It started the season at 7 to 1. So there was so much opportunity if you wanted a back end beat as the most important player to a top seed in the conference. I don't think you're getting any value at plus 250. Wait till he has a bad game. Wait till someone else has a great game. But it is it is fun this time of year when there is absolutely nobody that has even a 40% chance of winning this thing. It's wide, wide open. So it might be something you want to bet if you're just an Embiid fan and want to have some rooting interest in the games because any any of the top four could win this. If I had to bet right now, gun to my head, I would still pick Steph Curry considering the teams of Embiid, Giannis, Curry, Jokic. By far, the Warriors have exceeded expectations as a team the most, even if his stats are, are pedestrian or really pedestrian for him. I mean, his normal, excellent stats. So my pick would be Curry on an odds basis. You're getting four to one, but um, don't love any of these odds. Will be interesting down the stretch to see where it goes. It sounds like you have you see some value maybe on Morant. The Grizzlies as a team definitely are in that crazy beat expectations type role that often MVPs describe. Right. So yeah, a, a couple things. I've got a lot to unpack there. Actually, shocked that you just said Steph out of everyone in the top five is your favorite value. Uh, Because to me, he's the one person in the top five I would stay the hell away from. And that's changed over the past month. 
obviously the Warriors have come back down to earth a little bit, but, you know, comparing Steph to Steph, you know, while he's having a year that most NBA players, if not 99% of all NBA players would kill for, by his standards, he's actually having, like you said, a pedestrian year, a down year even for his standards. But the team is overperforming. So that brings me to my argument. If we're talking about a guy whose team is overperforming, if we're talking about value, not most outstanding player, MVP, not MOP, is there anyone more valuable than John Morant? Taking a Grizzlies team that was seen by many as a fringe playoff team that, you know, if they got to the playoffs, it would certainly be in the play-in in that 7-10 to 10 seed range. And he's got Memphis competing for the two seed, competing with everyone not named Phoenix in the Western Conference. I mean, John Morant, if we're just looking at the definition, and this is what I hate about this award because it's never truly about the most valuable player to his team. It's usually the player with the best stats. But if we're looking at value, then John Morant is arguably the most valuable player in the NBA and definitely has the most value on the board at 12 to 1, as low as 14 to 1 in some books. But realistically, my favorite bet out of any of these guys, and I hate to do it, it's the Joker to go back to back. If you look at PER, right? If you're an analytics guy, if you're a per guy, the Joker is leading the league in PER. Embiid is second, Giannis is third, and they are about a quarter of a point uh, off of each other. But Jokic has over a two-point lead over Joel Embiid for that top spot. But let's look at Let's look at the real stats, right? Because Per is great, and for the most part, it's accurate. Uh, you know, it has its flaws for the guys who play fewer minutes per game, like Montrez Harrell and Brandon Clark, who were both ninth and 10th, respectively. But if you look at 1 to 8, you know, maybe with the exception of Gobert at 6, I would say most of the guys that are 1 to 8 in Per in the NBA belong there. Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, LeBron, Durant, Trey Young, and John Morant. Those are the other seven outside of Gobert. Um, so Joker's first in Per. Points per game, looking at the the top three per guys, Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis. Uh, Jokic is actually last out of those three. He's at 26, Embiid, 29.1, second in the league. When Durant runs out of of eligibility because he's been injured, Embiid will probably be first in the league. Him or Giannis will take that top spot. That's impressive as hell. And then Giannis is a quarter of a point per game behind Embiid. But look at the other stuff, right? The rebounds, the assists, Embiid is last in the group in rebounds per game. I mean, he's still got 10.8, still incredible, but behind Giannis, behind Jokic, who is 13.7. And then he's last out of those three in assists per game. On defense, it's tough. He's probably the second best out of those three in terms of defense. I mean, he's a great defender. Don't get me wrong. Giannis is otherworldly. And then Jokic probably leaves the most to be desired uh, on the defensive side. But right now, you know, for the same argument that I make for John Morant being deserving of this award, look at their supporting casts. Yes, Philly has been without Ben Simmons, but they still have Tobias Harris, who's an all-star. Maxi has had a great year there. Uh, Seth Curry had another really good game against the Grizzlies. That was a hell of an overtime win for Philly. Giannis has a really good supporting cast. He's got his own little big three with Middleton and Holiday. Jokic doesn't have a whole lot. Jokic, I mean, we've talked about this several times, McKenzie. The Denver Nuggets have no backcourt, either riddled with injuries or just flat out underperforming. You know, he's got Aaron Gordon, who is, I think at times because of his great performances in the dunk contest, he's been a little overrated at times in his career. He's really good though. But I think Jokic is doing the most with the least out of those three. And that's what I think the MVP award should be about, right? Most valuable player, 
who does the most with the least. You know, I, I hate to award it to him back to back, but to me, it's Jokic. You make a lot of strong points. In fact, if I had to make a gun to my head bet, uh, it would have changed. Now, now I think Jokic does have better have better chances than Curry for a couple reasons. One, the difference in the record, two to five, especially because he won MVP last year. I think a lot of things that you're saying, I mean, he doesn't have that much help. If they're in the same ballpark as far as uh, standings goes, we've seen a couple times Westbrook, Jokic, you don't have to have the best record to be in the in the conversation. That said, the concept of do the most with the least has always has always uh is is always uh given me pause because what is the most and what is the least? I mean, if you have a team that's worth that's supposed to win eight games and they win twenty, are you the MVP? Uh, it'd be very hard to prove that a team would be that bad without you. Uh, I mean, the worst team ever, I think, won eight games. The Hornets back in the day. So I do think I would, if I were voting, if I had to vote, I would reserve for a top probably three seed in your conference because it's it's very, I mean, look at Westbrook. It's very easy to put up historic numbers on an average team. It's much more difficult to put up really good numbers on a really good team. That said, we already know that the voters have a have a shine for Jokic. They voted overwhelmingly for him last year. And I think a lot of them, if only to validate their opinion from last year, will, will could easily jump on that again. But it's awesome because I have really no idea. Any of these guys, I, I could I could shoot down their case. That's why I don't think there's any value at Embiid at plus 250. He just hasn't separated other than the last couple weeks. Morant. Morant is an interesting one. Because remember, they did win like 10 of 11 games without him. That said, I mean... Matt Castle went 11 and 5 without Tom Brady. Sometimes you have a good thing going and you can't really fault a guy for sitting out and rooting on his team and cheering from the from the sidelines and for them continuing to excel. I would say he would lose he would lose some credit for me because of his defense. It's still cleaning the glass hasn't ranked him in the ninth percentile for on-off uh defensive metrics. But he reminds me a lot of 2011 Derrick Rose as far as he's on a team uh, with a lot of B players and he's that one ounce of special that, that gives them a chance every night. So if they finish top two, yeah, he, I mean, by the way, he's number one for point guards and player efficiency rating and player efficiency rating often, almost all the time, Curry, Rose, Morant, they're always lower on point guards. It's just because you don't get any credit for taking the ball up. I know it's really hard. Another guard and you pressing you 94 feet. I know if you don't get your into your offense within 10 seconds, you're going to be much worse. Statistically, we can see the shooting chart of as the shot clock goes, your field goal percentage goes way, way down. So we know it's important, but we just don't have a way to measure it, bringing the ball up with uh, intensity and, and purpose. So that's why point guards don't get the credit. They maybe should from a point, from a statistical perspective. And yeah, if actually, if I had a vote, uh, yeah, Morant, Morant is in is in my top three along with along with Curry and probably Jokic at the moment. If I'm voting from an odds perspective, I think I think it's a decent bet at twelve to one because it's such a good story. But um, the defense is 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 one reason why I don't think he's going to get it. Yeah, it's funny because if I'm voting, I probably vote Morant. But if I'm advising you on who to bet right. on, Jokic at plus four twenty five right. to me is the best bet, and then. I think, you know, and I know Embiid's the favorite right now. I think Giannis rounds out my top three. 
in terms of most likely to win or maybe most deserving to me, Jokic, Morant, Giannis. I can't say most likely. Morant is not most likely. But those three, in my opinion, are most deserving. You know, there's another stat. And this, I'm sure, plays a big factor in player efficiency rating because it's an efficiency-centered stat. But it's field goal percentage. And this is why I'm not buying Embiid. He's at 49.9%. So we'll call it 50. That's great. Right? In the NBA, 50% of your shots, that's great. For a seven-footer, it's not that It's not that great. Yeah, Rudy Gobert's at 71. Exactly. Exactly. So here's the thing. Embiid's at 50, which you hear that and you think that's great. Montrez Harrell, who I mentioned, who was ninth in PER. Brandon Clark is 10th. They're both at 65%, their field goal percentage. But let's look at the MVP candidates. Jokic, 57. That's a big difference, 7%. Giannis, 53. John Morant, 49. Now, here's the difference. Embiid, like you said, for a big guy, 50 is not that great. For a point guard, 49 is insanely great. In fact, Trey Young, who you said John Morant was the top point guard in PER, I'm looking at ESPN's list right now. Trey Young is 0.07 points ahead of him. So I'm I'm not going to penalize you for saying Ja was number one. We're talking about less than a tenth (laughs) of a point here. But Trey Young, who is considered ever so slightly more efficient than Ja Morant this year, his field goal percentage is 45. Ja Morant's is 49. For a point guard, I can't hammer this home enough, 49% of your field goals going through the hoop is insane. And so for Embiid to be at 50%, and I know, you know, field goal percentage doesn't determine the award, but if you're talking about efficiency, it's a better metric than points per game, you know? I, I think John Morant is more deserving than Joel Embiid. And it's wild that Embiid's at two and a half to one and Morant's at 12 to one on the pregame uh, consensus rankings. Yeah, and what we do with our pregame consensus odds is we take five books and we say, well, there could be an outlier and most people don't have access to all books. So we say, what's the, uh, not the best, best odds, but what's the second best odds you can reasonably get if you're shopping? And right now, Embiid, the favorite for NBA MVP at plus 250. But Joe, you're raising a lot of good points as far as difference making on the team. I think field goal percentage might be an underrated stat because, yes, there's points per shot and there's different things you can fancy it up to make it more advanced. But the actual and the psychological effect of taking the ball out of the hoop and having to take that extra second to slow down very, very much hurts your offense. Good offense leads to good defense and vice versa. Let's just quickly cuz I think you pull I think it's a great stat. Here are the players that are guards that are shooting over 49%. Jalen Brunson, he's having a very good year with the Mavericks. Drew Holiday, he's been in and out with the Bucks. Neither of these guys have anywhere near the workload 20 shots per game that Morant does. Morant has 49%, so does Chris Paul. You look at shooting guards, it's an even shorter list. You have Josh Hart in a very small role, only five shots a game, 51%. You have Seth Curry, who just stands in the wing and uh, kind of waits for Embiid to give him the rock. He's shooting 50%. And then you have Eric Gordon. That's it. In the entire NBA, those are the guards shooting over 49% or 49% plus. Nobody is close to to the wear and tear that Morant does from the shot profile he takes, let alone 20 shots per game. He's often taking them getting fouls, getting into the teeth of the defense, which opens up everything for the Grizzlies. So you, you've you've actually gotten me off. Uh, 
I think I think Brant might be second in my list right now. I, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who's first, <laughs> but you make a lot of good points. And I think the Grizzlies, they haven't gotten enough credit. They're number three in the West. This team was supposed to win less than half of their games. And it's 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 the spark. It's the explosion of John Morant. Yeah. And, and you know, another guy I'm going to hammer into uh, to say he belongs in the top five, maybe over Steph Curry, Chris Paul. He's another point guard like John Morant, exactly 49% from the floor, but shooting is not Chris Paul's game. And it's, you know, part of the reason he's not going to be a top five candidate at the end of the day, or probably won't be because he's only averaging 15 points per game. But what else is he averaging? 10.3 assists per game. We mentioned it last episode. Chris Paul, James Harden, only guys in the league averaging over 10 dimes per game. Paul has him slightly beat by a fifth of an assist. But the number about Chris Paul, and this is why it shocks me that his PER is only 21.3, which is still really good, but it's not, you know, top 10. His assist to turnover ratio, he's averaging over 10 assists, only 2.3 turnovers per game. That's almost a five to one ratio. Chris Paul, to me, is having, you know, quietly an MVP caliber season. And yes, Booker is their shooter. He's their scorer and he's all the excitement and the flash. But I'm sorry, Chris Paul, game on the line, that Utah game, the second leg of that back-to-back about a week ago, who was taking the shots in the fourth quarter? Booker did it all the first three. Chris Paul was the one who scored in double digits in the fourth quarter alone in that game. He took the game over both mid-range and at the charity stripe. Chris Paul is having an MVP caliber season, but his flashy numbers won't get him the award. Won't get him even close to the award. And this is something that Nick Wright was, uh, was banging the drum last year. He was saying, Chris Paul's the MVP. I'm like, Chris Paul's not listed for MVP at three of the five books we're checking. <laughs> uh, it's just not something that they're going to give him, uh, unfortunately. But, I mean, no one's been better than the Suns, and he's the most important reason why. So, you know, makes sense to me. Yeah, he's not their best player necessarily. I mean, you can argue he is, but I think he's the most important player on that team. I think with a different guy bringing up the ball, you don't maximize Devin Booker's potential and talent the way Chris Paul has this year. So we, we're going to get into the Suns uh, now? Now, we've got a big Suns game coming up that we're going to get to momentarily. But speaking of Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns, Devin Booker's name came out of Rudy Gobert's mouth not too long ago in a press conference. Mackenzie Utah seems to be blowing up from the inside out while Phoenix has taken the next step. They're 40-9, and far and away the best team in the league. There is turmoil within the Jazz locker room. What's your take on this situation with Gobert saying that Utah hasn't done enough? Guys haven't taken the next steps. Just might as well at Donovan Mitchell there like Booker has. And Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson liking some tweets that are anti-Gobert's remarks. A lot of drama. Not with a team in the losing, uh, experiencing the losing streak that Utah is going through needs. What's your take on everything going out out there? Very spicy stuff going right now in Salt Lake City. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a shakeup. For context... The Jazz, who were the number one seed in the West last year and had by far the best net rating and were close to the number one seed and had by far the best net rating for most most of this year so far, they've lost 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 14 out of their last 16 ball games. And in the middle of it, in the middle of that, five losses through that 2-14 and 14 stretch, Rudy Gobert, who you might remember, had some... Uh, had some reports about not necessarily having the best relationship with Donovan Mitchell when the season was suspended all the way back in 2020. He had a lot to say about, like you said, uh, not quite stepping up 
the games that they have to. The Jazz, he said, we're not the Suns. We're not the Warriors. We're missing that certain something. Let's call it heart. No, he didn't say that, but I mean, he might. It was really, really not normal to have someone talk to the media, not about I, not like I can't, not we. I mean, I guess he was saying we, but not from a personal perspective. It was really calling shots out. And Donovan Mitchell didn't say anything to the media. All he did was like a certain quoted by a report, uh, quote by a reporter of Gobert. And he says a lot with a little there. And then they asked him about the tweet. And he said, I'm just trying to focus on basketball right now. But he's saying, I hear you. I don't, I, I don't think he agrees with him necessarily. But he's saying, hey, these words aren't lost on me, buddy. Yes, we've lost 14 of 16 games. And you're saying that we're not quite there. Well, guess what? I just signed a $160 million contract. So the team wants me here real bad. I can, like most NBA stars, maneuver my way out if I want to. Not a lot of free agents coming to Utah. I think Donovan Mitchell right now very much is salty with the Jazz and their focus around Rudy Gobert. I think he's salty with Rudy Gobert himself. And I, I see change afoot. This this is, I mean, it's not like it's worked. I mean, they've had great, great regular seasons and they haven't made a conference final yet. I could see, what I mean, what do you think? Do you think there's a fire where there appears to be smoke? Yeah, I, I think there's a wildfire like, like we see at West. <laughs> I think things in Utah are bad. I think that this could be the beginning of the end of the Jazz. Their short-lived peak atop the Western Conference. I think they might be on their way to blowing things up. And look, I'm not saying that there's a correlation between the two, but when you factor in the drama between Gobert and Mitchell and Clarkson, and then the Joe Ingles injury just confirmed it's an ACL tear, his season's done. Again, no correlation, but it just seems to be a lethal combination right now in Utah of everything going the wrong way. They're 30 and 21, which look, it's the 10th best mark in the NBA. A lot of teams would kill to be in that position, but that's some fall from being the one seed a season ago in the Western Conference. And right now, you know, Mitchell does have a long-term deal. He is the multi-million dollar man, but at the same time, what comes with being such a hot commodity in the league is that you have power. And if Mitchell wants out of Utah, he can force his way out of Utah, right? We've seen it before with superstars. A contract at the end of the day only means so much. And there have been rumors lately, and I think a lot of people scoffed at him and, you know, buried them, but there have been rumors lately that if Donovan Mitchell continues to be unhappy with the way the Jazz finish seasons, I heard that he was one more early postseason exit away from working his way to the Knicks. Now, of course, his dad was a Met. His dad, who I used to work for the Mets, I've run into his dad, talked to his dad at City Field. Several times, his dad's still in New York, still works for the Mets. There are a lot of New York ties. Donovan Mitchell's always posting stuff about the Mets during baseball season. He's thrown out the first pitch. He wears Mets jerseys to Utah games in the tunnel, right? His pregame outfit. I think Donovan Mitchell wants to be in New York. I think Donovan Mitchell, as humble and modest as he is, knows he deserves a bigger spotlight than he's getting in Utah. And he knows he'll get that. And he will be absolutely beloved by every single fan in New York. Utah might, they might have peaked last season, McKenzie. Well, they just lost by 20 to the Timberwolves. Talk about two franchises heading in completely opposite directions. We should say about this losing streak, Gobert is currently out, been missing time, and Mitchell 
won't play currently uh, dealing with a concussion. He had an ankle before that. So these are the kind of things that just seem to add up just kind of like they're snake bitten Quinn Snyder's boys. So this is a team that I kind of hate to see go. They were so consistent. There's they've, I've bet, uh, I think I bet them three times this year on official plays and I think I'm three, and zero. So it's uh it's it's disappointing because this is kind of the kind of team that if you're going to win without that super duper LeBron Steph level talent, I mean maybe Mitchell could be that, but not, he's not really, and I think that's okay. I, I would like to see a team be as good as the Jazz appeared to be at their peaks, just well built, you know, with with uh, a lot of offensive options and a, a unique defensive player and a unique end of game player in Mitchell. But it seemed that the roster construction missed a certain missed the mark. Yeah. But it missed something in particular, an ingredient, I would say a uh, chemistry that they missed. Yeah. Well, when you have guys like Gobert out there, you know, with these cryptic messages and press conferences downplaying the rest of the team, specifically the guard play. Cause yes, we all know Rudy Gobert is a tremendous defender. Well, you know, with, with his God given uh, dimensions, it's hard not to be right. It, it's like, there is no chemistry when you've got, your, you know, supposed second best player selling out your best player and your sixth man of the year. Jordan Clarkson also took exception to that. You know, this is a team that the talent's there, right? Last year, they had an MVP candidate in Mitchell, defensive player of the year candidate every year, multiple winner in Rudy Gobert. Last year, they had the top two finishers. I don't even know how it's possible for sixth man of the year. Jordan Clarkson won the award. Joe Ingles was the runner up. Top two guys for sixth man of the year. First off, one of them six, one of them seven. That's what doesn't make sense. But I mean, they have the talent. Like you said, they have no chemistry. And if that doesn't get better and hard times come, that's only going to get worse, right? You need chemistry to weather the storm. And, and when you face adversity and when times get tough, if you don't have chemistry, you have nothing because you need to have each other's back. And right now, it doesn't seem like that's present in the locker room. Seems like Mitchell and Clarkson have each other's backs. Maybe Conley too, but when you've got, let's face it, your top two players, Mitchell and Gobert, at odds with one another, man, you know, I, I don't want this to speak poorly to Donovan Mitchell's character, but at this point, I would understand him being like, I'm done. It's a lot easier for me. Life would be a lot easier for me getting the hell out of Dodge, right? Mitchell and Devin Booker, and it's ironic Gobert made the made the comments about Booker and Mitchell not being there, which I think Mitchell's better. I'd rather have Mitchell. I think I think the irony is Gobert talking about Booker taking strides defensively. I think Mitchell's a better two-way player than Booker. I think he's one of the most underrated two-way players in the NBA. I love Mitchell's defensive game. I think that just like Devin Booker, they'll never win a championship on their own. But God, if you gave Donovan Mitchell the pieces that Phoenix has, Aiton, Chris Paul, you know, other guys like, like Crowder and Cam Johnson... I think that one-ups Utah's secondary pieces. I'm sorry. I think that Mitchell, like Booker, can win it all with the right pieces around them. And and Utah, specifically Gobert with his attitude, it just not might not be the right supporting cast for Mitchell. I think you nailed it. You got to have each other's back. I'm a 49ers fan, and I am so happy that next year we have one quarterback because every time we were losing, about to lose, or came close to losing, you could see on Jimmy Garoppolo's face, on George Kittle's face answering questions in the press conference, it was uncomfortable. And as much as they loved each other, it was uh, 
It was something that separated the team. You could just feel it. And this is a team in the Utah Jazz that are that are separated. They're not together. I mean, Rudy Gobert talking about, oh, well, we just need our defensive guards to step up. Rudy Gobert is on the court because they have great offensive players. If Rudy Gobert had, I mean, yeah, I wish my four teammates were Michael Jordan so that we would be really good on defense and offense. No, you have to, you, you are uniquely bad at offense for a championship level player. You, I mean, you, you have to give what you can. And for Rudy Gobert to be talking to the media like that, uh, it says that he it says that he doesn't really feel comfortable talking to the locker room about it. And that that's not a team that I'm I'm looking to back in the futures market or coming up in these games. I, I mean, they've already lost so much. The market's probably uh you know adjusted to them significantly, but there's still not a team I'm looking to back uh until I see something different. Well, he's no leader. Rudy Gobert is no leader. He never has been right. a leader. He he's always showed immaturity out there. You know, Rudy Gobert, I loved him. Because, and this is just a little background about me. Back when I played hoops, I was a three-sport athlete in high school. Least talented in basketball, right? Really good pitcher in baseball. Pretty good football player. Played different positions as I grew and my body type changed. Went from D-tackle to tight end. Uh, but watching Rudy Gobert, I loved him because when I played hoops, I'm six foot four. I was a center who had no offense, who averaged double-digit rebounds and about four blocks per game. So I loved Rudy Gobert's style. But he lost me when he showed he is no leader when COVID first began. He was the first known case of COVID in the NBA. And it was either March 10th or March 11th, 2020. The game gets canceled against Oklahoma City. He holds a press conference. And what does he do? Thinks he's funny. Starts (coughs) coughing on the mic in the press conference room after the game. That's when Rudy Gobert showed who he truly is. And it's immature. And it's a problem. It's a problem in the locker room. And two years later... We're still seeing, almost two years later, I believe 22 months, we're still seeing that he continues to be problematic in different ways for Utah. And I just don't think with him being the way he is and being, at the end of the day, such an important piece to this team, I think he's going to hold the entire team back. And I don't think they're going to be able to take that next step. I think it's been a really good run, especially for a franchise like the Jazz. This has been a really good run for them. Uh, but it stops with a top seed in the Western Conference and a disappointing postseason finish. If I mean, they might not even make it out of the first round at this point. I wouldn't be surprised. But looking ahead, we do have a matchup with the Jazz. They have a couple days off to kind of wallow, but they'll be back Wednesday night. They're at Denver. My lines currently say, and I have a big caveat because the way the Jazz have been playing, Denver's going to be on the second night of a back-to-back. Wouldn't be surprised if, if this number comes a point or two off, but I'm going to say it's Nuggets by three hosting the reeling Jazz. What do you think? Wow. I think that would be some indictment of the way that Utah's played lately. To put this into perspective, ladies and gentlemen, the Utah Jazz have played 25 home games and they have been favored in all 25 home games that they've played in. So that's how reeling the Jazz Oh, I, I thought this was uh, in Denver. My bad. So... Uh, my cool little projections tool. Uh, get at me on Twitter at Mac and Rivers. I'll send you the link. Uh, love to share all my resources if I can. So in Utah, big difference. I'm going to say it's going to be close to uh, close to a pick'em. Maybe Jazz by one. Okay. So what I'm I'm still interested to see. You know, I think the Denver Minnesota game that outcome has a lot to do with this. But it, it comes down to two things: how Denver handles Minnesota, and then the injury report 
You know, is Donovan Mitchell back? He's been out for quite some time. We thought he was set to return, I think, for the second leg of the Utah Phoenix game. There were some rumors he'd be questionable, and he still is yet to return. So is Mitchell back? Is Gobert back? That obviously will impact the line heavily. But this can be Utah's first game this season as a home dog, and that is a hell of an indictment on how poorly they've been playing the entire year, the entire month of January, entire year of 2022 so far. Look, the Nuggets are hot as hell. They've won five straight. They've covered three straight. They're going to be wrapping up a six-game road trip in this contest in which they're currently 4-0, and 3-1 against the spread, and they are trending up while Utah, like we've talked about for the past 10 minutes, has just been trending down. They were a freaking hot mess. The Jazz have lost five straight, seven of eight, 11 of 13. I, I think you went further back than I did. What did you say, 14 of 16? Yep. And... I just went back 13 games, but over those last 13, forget that they're 2-11 and 11 straight up. Against the spread, they're 2-10-1. Now, I will say this is a home game, and since New Year's Day, the Jazz have played just four home games. So there might be value if they're a home dog, and there might be value even if they're just a one, one-and-a-half point favorite and Mitchell and Gobert return, but... Another advantage for Utah is that they have a tremendous rest advantage. They haven't played since Sunday, whereas Denver will be on the second leg of a back-to-back. The Jazz, with two to three days off, are 5-2 and two against the spread. And with a rest advantage, they're 7-5 and five against the spread. They're also 7-4 and four against the number in divisional games, while Denver is just 3-7 and seven in those divisional games. Now, how about head-to-head? Utah, so far this season... 3-0 straight up against Denver, 3-0 against the spread against Denver. Now, I said that they haven't been a home dog all season. They had not been a dog, period, until January 5th, when they were a one-point underdog to the Nuggets, and they won outright 115-109. McKenzie, I believe we both hit bets in that game. You had Nuggets first half, I had Jazz on the game. We both yep. were winners. So Utah has Denver's number, and this has been one of the most fun rivalries in basketball the past three years. I just don't know if Utah can get anything to go its way right now, the way things are going. So this is going to be a tight line because the Jazz own the history and the Jazz own the division and all that. But right now, it could be as simple as the Nuggets are hot as hell and the Jazz can't get anything to go their way. That's why I think the three days rest is so critical here. And if there is really dissension, it might not even matter, but... Like you said, Jazz have owned this series in the recent past and wouldn't be surprised if they announced Gobert ready for the game. Mitchell might be back again. And with three days rest off versus Denver off a of back-to-back and the side advantage, I know everything I just said about how I wouldn't put my money back on Utah. I'm just saying I got to wait till I see that number because if they are an underdog, it could be like a put-your-foot-in-the-ground situation where it's, I mean, as bad as the Jazz have been, the sample size of the last two years still is meaningful. But just to put a stamp on how bad the Jazz have been since that game, January 5th, when we both hit our best bet winners on the same game, I had the first half with the Nuggets. They've been crazy good in the first half. The Jazz at that point had been crazy good in general. You had Jazz in the game and they won. Since that point, they're 2-11. and 11. They have the 26th best net rating or fifth worst. And most of that has been on the defensive side of the floor. So 
A lot of words and not too many best bets I'm giving you. I'm just saying I'll be very interested to see what the market currently thinks of this Jazz team off their three-day break. Well, let, let's let's also be blunt because right now if you're listening, you're like, all right, I'm hearing a lot. Like you said, a lot of words. Where's my bet, guys? Uh, let's be blunt <laughs> here. You can't make a bet until you know about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's injury status, right? And we, we gripe about this. We talk about it. NBA injury reports suck. Check Twitter. Constantly refresh it. Look at latest tweets. Type in a guy's name. Type in the word yep. active uh, because you're not going to find anything on, on the big websites, right? You might get something on some teams like NBA Wire the morning of or a blog the morning of. And then it'll be tip off. They'll still be questionable. Check Twitter. It, it really, it depends on the injury report. And it's hard to get that in advance. The NBA injury reports are just, well, let's call it what it is, McKenzie. They stink. And pro tip, uh, don't don't ever tell you we didn't give you actionable information. The Twitter list, if someone gives you an inside, a little scoop. I mean, not gives you, but they tweet it. Make a note of it. Put them on a list because five or six people can cut through all of the noise and give you the best, latest NBA information so you can make money. Absolutely. Hey, we've got another game to get to. Uh, this episode will be dropping Tuesday, February 1st. So I guess we'll say tonight we've got the Phoenix Suns hosting the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm going to check to see if this has updated, but I was showing Suns minus seven in this one, McKenzie. Yes, I had it. Uh, I saw it thrown up. I think it was at FanDuel at seven and a half, uh, which seems kind of light. To me, the well as well of this as the Suns have been playing, Harden again, big question mark. Uh, it seems kind of light. My my numbers currently would make it eight and a half, but again, that's assuming that uh, Harden is out again. You know, it's funny. It's to me, I'm looking at that and I'm like, wow, that's a big number for the team. Everyone was ready to claim NBA champs not too long ago in the Brooklyn Nets, but you know, no Durant. Harden is questionable again. You have to monitor the injury report here. If Do you think it's a coincidence that Harden had that uh, report, not report, re- refusal, denial about his frustrations with the team, whether or not he's going to be traded, and Kyrie's played since then. Harden has not. They have not put on, been on the court together since that little kerfuffle came out. Interesting. Too, too conspiratorial? Yeah, I mean... Am, am, am I reading the tea leaves a little too heavy? I'm not sure. I, I wasn't really looking that deep into it. I was kind of looking like, all right, you know, this is a guy who we talked about at last episode. He's not in the best shape in the world. I mean, I've killed him for his conditioning the past couple of seasons. So, you know, he's been injured a lot. Uh, him being injured just doesn't really shock me. So I guess I didn't read too far into it. Uh, let's Let's face it. The Nets have no shot at winning without him. Now, a number as big as seven and a half, eight. That can be covered. Without him, we saw the Nets cover against Golden State, right? They lost that game by four. They were six or six and a half point dogs in that one. Um, But Phoenix is a lot better than Golden State right now. And I think Phoenix will win by 10. I mean, they're in the midst of their second 10 game winning streak of the season that has them, as I mentioned earlier, at 40 and nine, far and away the best record in hoops. And, you know, with teams like Golden State and Utah both fading at some point over the past month, Phoenix has kept pace. Over this 10-game streak, they are 6-4 and four against the spread. They're actually a much improved 27-22 and 22 against the number this season. And let's break down those numbers a little deeper. After a win, 23-16, and 16, one of the best marks in hoops. As a favorite, 24-20, and 20, respectable. With one day off, 18-12, and 12, that's the fifth best mark in the NBA, second in the Western Conference. With a rest disadvantage, which they'll have in this one, 7-5 and five against the spread. And against the Eastern Conference, 9-7 and seven against the spread. 
Now, Brooklyn, who has a rest advantage in this one, is only 8-8 eight and eight against the number with a rest advantage. That's one of the worst marks in basketball for teams that have a rest advantage. Uh, and against the Western Conference, 7-13. and 13. They were 6-13. and 13. They covered at Golden State. That's still at 7-13 and 13 against the number, the fourth worst mark in the NBA, interconference. Now, let's take one deeper dive and look at the Nets with Kyrie. Mediocre. 4-4 four and four straight up. 4-4 four and four against the spread. They've lost four straight on the season. Two of those have been with Kyrie. Two of those have been without Kyrie. The Nets are not playing good basketball right now. And Kyrie Irving, at the end of the day, without Kevin Durant, doesn't mean a whole lot to this team. So I don't know if I'm going to bet it. So I don't even want to call it a bonus bet because usually I actually play my bonus bets. But I lean Suns even minus the seven and a half in this one because Kyrie versus Chris Paul and Devin Booker. It's no contest, man. It's Chris Paul and Devin Booker all damn day. I, I tend to agree with you. My numbers, like I said, make it eight and a half. So it's it's Suns or pass, and it's probably going to be a pass for me just because, you know, that's a big number, and it's going to be on TNT. They like to make things exciting if they can. I'm not saying there's any chicanery, except that's exactly what I'm saying. But I will give you a bonus bet. I like both of these overs. Uh, probably Patty Mills more, but I like Patty Mills over and Kyrie Irving over they just simply don't have a lot of offense then the Suns have a very compact defense with an elite rim protector in Aiton I think it's just a lot of running and a lot of gunning from Brooklyn so Kyrie Irving has gone over his prop one time it was his last game he finally kind of started turning it on I think that's the that's the beginning of something especially without Harden he's able to get a rhythm it becomes his team not 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 that great of a team but it becomes his team I think he gets he gets gunning uh, so I like his prop over if it's in that 24 range. And then Patty Mills, I have to check to see where they're setting it. But the last, I don't know, three games. Can you get that at 15 and a half? Yeah, it's been like 15 and a half, 14 and a half. I bet it a couple games ago at 13 and a half, which lucky because it got only 15. But wow, if you look like at games that. without Durant, and now there's there's been 12 of them, he's gone over that number in um, – Let's see. Yeah, 10 of 14 games. So they, they haven't adjusted yet, and I would continue to ride that uh, even in this game, uh, especially in this game coming up where the where the Nets are just going to have to be bombing away. Yeah, so I'll tell you what. Give me Patty Mills over. I like this way more than I like the, a, a side in this one. Patty Mills over any number up to 15 and a half. And if you can get this at minus 110 or more favorable odds, Chris Paul, double-double. I don't want it if I'm having to lay 120, 130 to win 100 on that. But if you can get minus 110 or better on a Chris Paul double-double, I would take it in this game. I like it. I like the price sensitivity. By the way, I didn't know you were 6'4". I thought you were like, I thought I was like your big bro. And I, you were like, you know, some shorty. But man, everyone we work here with a pregame, AJ's 6'3". Th- I'm 6'3". Huh. I guess it's... Wow, we, 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 got a, we got a hell of a front court. Hey, correct me if I'm wrong. We got a squad. Man, we used to do, when I was in college, I was the sports director at St. Bonaventure's uh, student-run radio station. Shout out WSBU, by the way. I started the tradition there my sophomore year of going to Radio Row. We did it my final three years there. Last year with COVID, they weren't there. They're going back to LA. Very proud of those guys. We used to do a basketball game every semester against the student-run newspaper. And we would smoke those freaking guys, man. It was a blast. We would kick their ass every time. Shout out to the buzz. Uh, hey, speaking of AJ, 
I mean, because my thing, I'm 6'4". I'm a cool 175. Isn't AJ like a freaking UFC fighter or yeah. some shit? He's 175 in each arm. He's, yeah. he's not 175. Man, 175, man. I was I was 6'3", like in, or around that in high school. But I was never that. Man, that's real thin. And I've... You must do uh, you must do your cardio, my friend. I, I you know what? Uh, my cousins recently purchased that uh, Peloton treadmill death trap thing. That uh, you know, God, I don't even want to joke about it. People are actually dying on that thing. Um, but those workouts, I'm, I'm gearing up for LA, man. Catch me on Venice Beach with no shirt on and uh, and a set of rollerblades on my feet. I'll be out there with uh, with everyone else. Speaking of uh, just dominating a basketball game for no good reason and taking sick pleasure in it. Uh, as a club member at, at uh, you know, at, I just played club basketball, I am, uh, which is kind of like I am. It's within different schools. So I guess it's not intramural. It's in, intermural. But anyway, we would play the girls basketball team. We would play them with a girls ball. Uh, they would sub in and out. We would just be five of us. We played them maybe like once or twice a week for a while. Guess what our record was against them? How many, how many games? Give me the number of games. I'll like, give you the record. Like 80. 80 games. I'm going to say like yeah. three and 77. 80 and 0. Men are better than women at basketball. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just a fact. Oh, just, man. We never lost to them ever. I thought you were going to say we that they were so much stronger you. than them. And we were, it was, it was not fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? I should, I'm an idiot because who the hell is guarding you at 6'3 and. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was, I mean, I was not the fifth best guy on my team, but I could have played. I'm telling you right now, I could play D1 women's hoop. <laughs> I, I would be i would be one of the best put that on your resume let me know how that one works for you <laughs> by the way i will say dunking with a woman's ball so much fun Just, oh yeah <laughs> can, can you throw down yes I, I don't know about anymore i haven't tried in a while i got a little bit of a bigger beer belly than last time i tried but yeah i was never i was never a leaper but i, I got there a couple times yeah yeah i mean I, I dunk with a men's ball but with a woman's ball you can just get so much you know so much more you, into you could it and... freaking dr j you could be gliding yeah and exactly <laughs> man tomahawks way back behind the head uh, right. <laughs> we have best bets to give out, Mackenzie, and we went 0-2 last episode. So uh, what do you say we try to make like the Yale's women's team and get some redemption here, huh? I'm going to go with my best bet with the Boston Celtics projected line three and a half Wednesday hosting the Charlotte Hornets. Now, this is very simple. Charlotte Hornets are a guard-led, explosive, offensive team. The Boston Celtics are an undersized, elite team that's really been playing below expectations. But they have the perfect matchup to go against this Hornets team. Marcus Smart, you got Lomelo Ball. I like that matchup. Lomelo Ball is going to get his, but he's not going to go crazy. Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward versus Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Or Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. You have in Rozier and Hayward, two pretty good offensive players. In Brown and Tatum, you have elite two-way wing defenders. Gordon Hayward also played for the Celtics. Brown and Tatum are going to have experience. I like the better chess player with the little bit more experience. The better player in that matchup is going to be able to take advantage. And then this is just a trend play. If you look at from January 6th till today, only the Phoenix Suns have a better net rating than, than the Boston Celtics, and it's barely. Phoenix Suns, 11-1 and one since January 6th, plus 9 net rating. The Boston Celtics, only 9-5. and five. Net rating takes away the variance of an individual game and just shows you on a per-play basis how are they doing. Only the Phoenix Suns, who we were just talking about, who are elite in every department, only they have been better over the last four weeks. Against the Charlotte Hornets team, that's kind of flashier than they are good. 
Give me the Boston Celtics, my projected line, lay in the three and a half. And you know what? After what they just did to Miami, what was that, a 30-point win? I can't go against that. But wire yeah, to exactly. wire. I mean, look, yep. we were talking about it before we started recording. That's one of those that you look at and you're like, minus six and a half. The Heat don't have Kyle Lowry. The Heat don't have P.J. Tucker. The Heat don't have, oh yeah, Butler. Jimmy Butler. And it's like, <laughs> but is that too good to be true? I mean, there's still the Heat, right? The Heat still... It's always a next man up type of thing in Miami. Bam's got to have a great game. And then Tyler Hero can drop 30 off the bat. No, no, the Heat didn't have a pulse. And Boston's had a hell of a month of January. They're trying to work their way out of the play. And it's going to be tough. Not going to come easy, but they're trying to fight their way to a top six seed. I like that play a lot. My best bet. I'm hitting those Denver Nuggets. Not Wednesday night against Utah. Not as a side in the game against Minnesota. But I'm hitting the Nuggets and the Timberwolves to go over a projected total of 219 and a half in their matchup Tuesday night. This is weird for me because out of my best bets, I have had an under for a player prop. That was Steph when he was chasing the three point record. And I have had two unders, one straight up and one in a teaser, which I know you shit on, but it hit. I like unders. I find value in unders because everyone plays overs and unders actually hit more often. But I love this over. 219 and a half, Nuggets, Wolves. Here's the deal. Denver has won five straight and is averaging, beating their opponents in those five games by an average score of 120 and a half to 108. That's a total of 228 and a half per game. Minnesota, who's three and two in their last five, nothing to scoff at. This is the, I believe, only the second time in the last 15 seasons that the Timberwolves have been 550 games in, right? They're having a pretty good season by Timberwolves standards. Three and two in their last five, and they are outscoring opponents in those last five games by an average of 122 to 119. That's 241 points per game in their last five. I love the over here. You know I look for values and unders, but I'm expecting a big night from the Joker. Denver just put up a buck 36 against Milwaukee, and Jokic only had 18 points. I think he's going to have a lot more than 18 points in this one. He'll score more. Give me the over. I'm going to get back to 500 with this pick. I'm 6-7 and seven right now. Like I said, I was 1-6-3. and three. This is my pick to get me to 7-7. Seven and seven. This way, next episode, I can get back in the green. Nuggets, by the way, have gone over an 8 of 10. So there's my best bet. I like it because you're picking up on a trend that the Nuggets for a, maybe the first month of the season were a, un, a dead nut under team with at a very slow pace, but the and the Timberwolves have been, you know, an over team the whole way. But you look at the last month, only the Suns have a bat, had a better offense than these two teams in January. Minnesota 119 points per 100 possessions the last month, Denver 117. So I, I like the I like where the, where this trend is going and if they set it up at 219 and a half, I think they are making a mistake cuz that's where the number my season long projections would put it around that number 220. But, but I also do a 12-day projection that's like, if I only knew the last 12 days and I use the same model, the same stats, which would be kind of foolish because it's such a small sample, what would my model spit out? 235. These yeah. teams have been red hot, and I see no reason why that doesn't continue. Well, right. So here's the thing, right? You say it would be foolish because it's a small sample size, but that's how you identify trends. I don't care what happened in October, in November. That tells me nothing about these two teams now. If we were going based off of November, Utah would be a double-digit favorite every game. But the fact of the matter is, right now, Utah sucks. And so, look at what they're doing now. If you're showing 235, and this total 
comes in a whopping 15 and a half points under that, there is tremendous value in this over. Look, Minnesota, like you said, they've been an over team all year. They've gone over 58% of their contests. That's the second best mark in the league. Denver is up to the fifth best over team in the league. 27 overs in 49 contests. That's 55%, fifth best mark in the league. That's not Nuggets basketball, right? The Denver Nuggets 10 games ago had gone under, I believe, what, once more than they had gone over? But then they're 8-2 and two with the over in their last 10, and now all of a sudden they're 27-22 and 22 on the season, right? The Nuggets have been an under team, but January has been a different beast, specifically their last 10 games, and I just, over 220 in this one, it feels like Vegas is not catching up to the trend. Well, not yet. Maybe by the time this closes, it'll be 225. So when you have good information like this, you want to get in early. Often the times you'll see a number like this bleed up throughout the day. So I like it. And by the way, we talked about MVP consideration. I think 120 net rating with a team with maybe one good offensive player is pretty good stats if you're if you're backing Nikola Jokic at plus 425. Yeah, that doesn't sound bad to me. Jokic plus 425, nuggets to go over here. Mackenzie, one more time, your best bet. Boston, Charlotte, what was it? I like the Boston Celtics Wednesday night hosting the Hornets. Line's going to be about three or four. They're going to win by 15. (laughs) I love it, guys. For episode 14 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, I'm Joe Serralo, joined by my man Mackenzie Rivers. It is now February. We are turning the page on, although Mackenzie had a great January. For me, we are turning the page on an awful January. We'll see you guys in a few days. (laughs) 